0: So, we have some readings this afternoon from the book of Ephesians, and uh, there's three short sections that we'll be reading. And we begin, first of all, in Ephesians chapter 4, reading verses 1 and 2, and uh, those readings should also be up on the screen behind me. So, reading from Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1, first of all. Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Then we skip down to verse 29. He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And then finally we turn across to chapter five from verse fifteen. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, uh, this afternoon we're going to uh, continue delving into the Bible's teaching about the Holy Spirit. And one thing that we need to be so very, very clear about is that every single person who has put their faith in Jesus for salvation truly has the Spirit dwelling within them. Already in the Old Testament, the Lord promised in Ezekiel chapter 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you. And in Joel chapter 2, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days. In the Gospels we see those promises coming nearer. In John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And then in chapter 14, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. You know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Then on the the day of Pentecost, it says of the Apostles in Acts chapter 2, they saw what what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, Peter declares, repent and be baptised, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift Of the Holy Spirit. And all of this is reinforced in the epistles. Romans chapter 5, Paul says to all believers, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received? From God. So, my friends, what this means is that if you trust not in yourself but in Christ alone for your forgiveness and your righteousness, then you can be 100% certain that God's own powerful spirit is truly alive and truly active within you. He's the one who has turned your life around. He's the one who works in us every single day. We can be certain that the Holy Spirit is resident within us. But one reason why we need to be so clear about this is because there are some in the wider church who cast doubt on this vital truth. And I'm talking now about those who claim that to be a real, proper Christian, you need to have a very specific second experience. Sometime after your conversion, they say you need to undergo a second blessing. They call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this baptism, they say, must be proven by speaking in tongues. For without it, you're carnal, unspiritual, and second-rate and some would even say you're not a Christian at all. So friends what are we to make of this? Well the Bible certainly speaks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Almost every mention of it is in the Gospels and in Acts. And these passage or passages all contrast the ministry of John the Baptist who baptized with water with the ministry of Jesus who would baptize with the Spirit. Making the meaning of water baptism a reality in the believer's heart. And so, for example, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But there's also a further mention of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Ironically, these very passages make it clear that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is experienced by every believer, not just by some. And they make it clear that it happens at the time of conversion, not at some later date. And they make it clear that it is a free gift of God with no dependence on us speaking in tongues. In fact, my friends, whatever our view on tongue speaking, the Bible never says that it's for all believers. It says it's a spiritual gift given to some. And so it could never be a necessary requirement of salvation. So friends, we must understand that every single Christian believer has fully and authentically received the Holy Spirit and indeed has been baptised by the Holy Spirit. That's the Bible's message. We shouldn't be seeking some kind of second blessing, but we need to realise that the indwelling of the Spirit is our very first blessing and, my friends, our greatest blessing. For it is the Spirit who regenerates our hearts, giving us faith and new life. And it's at the very moment that he does so that he takes up residence within us. Every true believer can say with 100% confidence, I have the Holy Spirit living in me. But that then raises an important question if we believe that all Christians truly have the Spirit, then why do we see disparity and inequality in the way that the Spirit works in different Christians' lives? I mean, why is it that some believers are so on fire for the Lord, so passionate and assured about their faith, so serious about fighting sin and so eager to serve, so joyful in their worship, so contagious in their witness. And why do others seem to display far fewer of these qualities? Why are some more worldly? And in some cases, it's hard to even tell if they're Christians at all. But of course, as we think about others, we also should be thinking about ourselves. For we all know, don't we, that there are, there are times when we feel the Holy Spirit's power within us. We love spending time in God's Word and prayer comes easily. Church is a pleasure and working for the Lord is a delight. We feel ourselves being transformed daily as we fight our old natures and bear the Spirit's fruit. And we're just so keen to share God's grace with the lost. And we just feel on a spiritual high. But yet we also know, don't we, that there are other times when we feel deep in the valley and our hearts are as cold as a stone. God feels distant and we find it hard to rejoice. We're filled with negativity and with doubts and with temptations and we even wonder if the Spirit is there at all. So how can this be? If every Christian truly has the Holy Spirit, then why can our experience of his power within us be so varied? Well, the Bible teaches that whilst every believer has been baptised with the Spirit, that it is yet possible for us to resist and to suppress his power within us. Now, for some of us, this may sound strange, It may even sound heretical, for surely God's spirit is far stronger than we are. How could we possibly resist and suppress his efforts? How could weak humans stand up against his divine power? Well, even though this may be hard to understand, the Bible tells us it's true. For you see, my friends, God doesn't want puppets. God wants people who love and who serve and who obey Him of their own volition, of their own will. And so He allows us the freedom to interact and to cooperate with the Spirit's work. As we think about this, you may remember those verses from last week in Galatians chapter 5. Paul said, "'You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, "'but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh.'" Rather, serve one another humbly in love. God has given us freedom. But that doesn't mean he doesn't care how we use it. His desire is that we respond to his grace, by not by living selfish, worldly lives, but by living lives of humble service that bring glory to him. But then Paul linked this to the Holy Spirit, didn't he? He said... So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. You see, friends, there's a battle, a battle raging, but within between God's spirit and our own flesh, our own sinful human nature. But this battle is not beyond our own influence. Paul's words, I say, walk by the spirit, imply we have a choice. Will we walk his way or not? And when he says, if you are led by the spirit, he implies we can choose to be led by him or not. And then later he adds, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And here we see most clearly this matter that lies before us. All Christians are saved by the Holy Spirit and given new and eternal life. But now we're called to keep in step with his ongoing work within us. We're called not to resist and suppress, but to cooperate and participate but this isn't the only place where these things are mentioned think of 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 where it says do not quench the Spirit I like the translation in the old NIV it says do not put out the Spirit's fire such a command would be meaningless if we didn't have the choice to do so You see, the Holy Spirit, my friends, is like a a roaring fire that is burning within us. He He has the power to teach us. He has the power to transform us. He has the power to use us mightily in his kingdom. But are we letting his fire burn? Or are we extinguishing those flames, smothering his power, letting ourselves grow cold? And then there's also these verses we read earlier in Ephesians 4. Right at the start, Paul said, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He couldn't say that, could he, if we were not responsible in these things. But then listen to verses 29 and 30. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the holy spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul's talking to believers, isn't he? He's talking to people who have been sealed for the day of redemption. Yet it's believers, just like us, who can actually grieve the Spirit. For you see, the the Spirit doesn't force us to get rid of our unwholesome talk and to speak in ways that build others up. He doesn't force us, but He empowers us. But when we ignore that power, and when we're determined to go our own way, we cause Him sorrow we cause him hurt, we cause him grief. So friends, we've seen that it's truly possible for you and me, and in fact every Christian, even as people who have been saved by the blood of Christ and by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, to now resist and to suppress the Spirit's work within us. And that's why when we look at other believers and that's why when we look at ourselves We see such variation in the Spirit's power. The Spirit's power hasn't changed, but in some it's being suppressed more than others. But of course the message of these verses is that if we truly love the Lord, well then we'll not want to get out of step, we'll not want to quench or to grieve the Spirit, but instead we will have a deep, deep desire to walk by the Spirit and be led by Him. We will be compelled not to oppose his power, but to embrace it in our lives. But how can we do that? Well, that brings us to the key passage that I want us to think about for the rest of this sermon. And we find it in the verses we read from Ephesians 5. Paul says, "...be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise." making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And I want to zoom in on those last words. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, there's three things I should mention about the way this was written in the original Greek. First of all, we need to understand that this is an imperative. It's a command. You know, we're never commanded to be baptised by the Spirit. That is the work of God. But this is different. We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. It's Something we need to do. But secondly, we need to understand that it's also a passive imperative. And so it's not so much that we're doing the filling but rather that we are allowing it to be done to us. And third, we need to realise that it is also a present imperative. And that means that we're not talking here about a one-off filling that happens and then it never has to happen again. But we're talking about an ongoing process that continues through all of our days. But what's that really mean, to be filled with the spirit. Well, the hint, I think, is in that contrast made with getting drunk on wine. For what happens when a person gets drunk? Well, they're taken over, aren't they? The alcohol dominates them. They're dominated for a time, or if they become alcoholic, they're dominated all the time. Paul says, don't get drunk on unholy spirits which lead only to evil and misery but be filled with the Holy Spirit which leads to goodness and joy. He's saying, let the Spirit not just dwell in you but let him fill you. Let him dominate you. Let him take you over. For my friends, it's only then that we can truly experience his power in our lives. You see, we can be a little bit like that old farmer who who went to the hardware store to get a new chainsaw. He found the biggest one they had and he paid at the counter and he proudly took it home. And then he went out into the paddock to cut his firewood. But just as he was finishing at the end of the day, the owner of the hardware store was passing by. And so he stopped in to see how things had gone. How'd you like that new saw? The, the dealer asked. Huh, it's all right, I guess, the farmer replied, mopping his brow. But to tell you the truth, it doesn't really seem that much better than my old one. The store owner frowned. Really? That doesn't seem right. It's the latest model. Let me see that thing. So he picked up the saw, he pulled the starter cord and it roared to life. And the farmer got an enormous shock. Whoa, he cried out. What's that crazy noise? We can be just like that, can't we? Like a farmer with a beautiful chainsaw but just still doesn't know its power. For we, my friends, have the very Holy Spirit of God living within us but yet we may never have known the reality of his power. And so, friends, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to come under his influence in such a manner and to such a degree that he becomes the most dominant reality in our lives, we need to allow him to be the controlling factor in all we think and say and do. Or to put it in the words of my sermon title tonight, the Holy Spirit needs to not just be resident, but he needs to be president in our lives. But that makes you think, doesn't it? What really is the dominant reality and the controlling factor in my life? What gets me out of bed in the morning? What drives me to do the things I do? Make the decisions that I make? Have the priorities that I have? What does my mind turn to in those quiet moments when my very deepest desires come to the fore? What gives me my purpose? What defines My identity? Is it my work or my family? Is it money or sex or possessions or good times? What are we obsessed with? Is it our health, our fitness, our leisure or our hobbies? What is of highest importance? What is the deepest passion of my heart? The Bible tells us that the answer to this question should be our Lord Jesus Christ. For if we truly understand his greatness and we understand the depths of his love, if we truly understand what it is that he has saved us from and what he has saved us for, if we would truly understand his sacrifice and the glorious eternity that he is preparing, well then surely... He will be of utmost importance in our lives. And that, my friends, is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. For His very task is to so lead us and guide us that we are entirely taken up with loving and thanking our Lord, serving and submitting to our Lord, praising and bearing witness to our Lord. But are we in step with the Spirit? Are we allowing Him to set the agenda? Is He resident or is He president in our lives? For if that's not our reality, then it's time to change. So what should we do? Well, we can start by taking more time to think about the Lord and what He's truly done for us. We need to listen to His Word We need to put aside worldly distractions and focus more intently on the most important thing. Only then can the Spirit do his work. We also need to make an uncompromising decision to denounce the sin in our lives. Paul tells us the Holy Spirit is in conflict with the flesh. And so if we're actually on the flesh's side, If we're indulging our sinful nature, then the Spirit will be pushed out of the picture. If we are living lives of willful compromise, then we will never experience the Spirit's power. We also need to fill our lives with the positive influence of the Gospel. We do this in worship. We do this in loving each other. We do this in serving God in the church and in the world by encouraging ourselves and encouraging each other with the good news, we make room in our hearts for the Spirit to act. But most importantly, my friends, we need to pray. If we want to be filled with the Spirit, then we need to ask the Lord to do exactly that. For at the end of the day, the best we can do is to get out of the way, to stop resisting, to stop suppressing and ask the Spirit to take us over and to transform us and to use us for the glory of our God. And you know, there is no prayer that we could pray more confidently. For in Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit. ...to those who ask him. My brothers and sisters, let us remember that every single Christian has received and been baptised by the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us and his incredible power is available in our lives. But that does not mean that every Christian is filled with the Spirit. For we can get out of step... We can quench His power. We can grieve Him as we resist His work in our lives. And so we truly do need to ask the question, is the Spirit resident or president in our lives? And if we realise today that we have been pushing Him aside, not giving Him His rightful place, then we need to listen to God's message. Friends, let's do all we can to let the Spirit transform us. Let's declutter our lives of fleshly passions and earthly distractions. Let's seek to grow an ever deeper desire to hand over control to the Lord. And let us pray fervently that the Spirit would show His power in us. Let's pray. Almighty God in heaven, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We want to thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we want to thank you that we can know confidently that every single person who has put their faith in Jesus as their Saviour has your Spirit working within them. Lord, how amazing that is. But Lord, we recognise from your Word that that does not mean that we allow the Spirit to work as we should. And so we want to pray now that you will help us with this. Lord, help us to recognise if we have gotten out of step with your Spirit, if we have put out your Spirit's fire, if we have grieved your Holy Spirit. And Father, if we realise that we have done that, we pray, forgive us and strengthen us. Help us, help us to know what we need to do to change in our lives. Lord, help us to get out of the way so that the Holy Spirit might truly fill us. And Lord, as he fill it, fills us, we pray that we might experience his power in us. Lord, we pray that he would truly work in us so that your word would come alive, that he would strengthen our prayers, that he would Fill us with greater love for you and for each other. Lord, that he would empower us to be your witnesses in this world. Lord, that he would transform us in every way, that we might grow more and more in your image and shine the light of your gospel to those around. Father, help us, we pray. Please fill us with your spirit this night. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.